Thanks for joining us here on Service to School Stories. Your hosts for this season are Alec Emmert, Service to School CEO and Navy veteran. And Sydney Mathis, Chief Program Officer and former College Admissions Officer. This season will cover topics as it relates to higher education, military service transition, and career opportunities and outcomes for veterans. Join us as we share student stories, inside tips from the admissions office, and conversations with employers actively hiring student veterans. Here we go. All right. Thanks for joining us today on our Service to School Stories podcast. Today, we are joined by Will Hubbard. He is the VP for Veterans and Military Policy at Veterans Education Success. And for our listeners, uh, Veterans Education Success works on a bipartisan basis to advance higher education success for veterans, service members, and military families to protect the integrity and promise of the GI Bill and other federal post-secondary education programs. Some of their reports that Will and the team at VESS um, have published recently have led to unanimous congressional laws to fix the problems they identify. One example includes a 2019 series of reports on failed VA oversight of colleges, which led to the Protect the GI Bill Act, and the 2016 report, The GI Bill Pays for Degrees That Do Not Lead to a Job. This led to the successful passage of the Career Ready Student Veterans Act. The work that the team at VEST is doing is having a lasting impact on student veterans, and I'm so excited to hear more about the advocacy work and policies that your team is working on well. So thank you so much for joining us today. So let's go ahead and give our listeners a bit of an intro into who you are and your role at VEST. Sure. Um, So I have been involved in advocacy work for uh, almost a decade at this point, but my journey, it really starts actually before that when I enlisted in the Marine Corps in 2006, um, and I've had the opportunity to serve overseas in multiple uh, countries, including um, Haiti, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, and most recently in uh, Kabul City in Afghanistan um, as, uh, you know, supporting missions uh, overseas and keeping folks safe. And so it's been a, it's been an interesting journey there. But um, when I left consulting, uh, which was my first job out of college, um, I got very involved in uh, several groups, but one of which was Student Veterans of America. And over time, uh, since they were a new organization, they, they started getting a lot of calls to be involved in legislation and advocacy work. And uh, they asked if I would help out with that. And so I got involved, uh, I got my start there. And over several years, uh, had different roles, including government affairs, as, and most recently as their chief of staff. And then uh, joined the team at Veterans Education Success a couple of years ago. And I've been doing that for now two years. So I've enjoyed the, uh, the time and just the opportunity to help people is really what drives me uh, at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. I want to touch a little bit before we talk about some of the more um, specific policy work. Will, can you share for our listeners what your educational background um, that has kind of brought you to this position? I know you mentioned consulting a little bit, but for any prospective students that are also considering um, work in public um, policy or public affairs, would love to hear a little bit about that journey of yours. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I started at community college, uh, a, a place called Oakton Community College in the, the north suburbs of Chicago. Um, and after a semester, I transferred to American University. Uh, I graduated there in three years with a degree in international relations. And uh, that set me up nicely for the consulting gig uh, because really a degree in international relations uh, focuses on group work, uh, working on projects and working with teams and doing a lot of research. And I mean, frankly, that's probably what most work uh, nowadays is. 
And um, I've stayed very involved with the school as an alumni, uh, and I'm just always very impressed with the school's commitment to uh, an inclusive environment, one that focuses on rigorous research and uh, strong communities. Uh, absolutely. American is one of our partner institutions, so good little shout out to them there. Um, cool. All right. So let's dig in a little bit more into the specific work, your day to day. Um, can you talk to our listeners a little bit about, I know on your website, you, you all mentioned some of the successes that you all have had in terms of legislation and policy that you all have passed. Um, what's been the most important one for you? Well, you know, before we dive quite into that, I, you know, I actually want to focus on the history a little bit because I think that's, that's actually the, the driving factor in a lot of what we see uh, today. Um, if you think about the, the, the GI Bill in general and education benefits in general, uh, education broadly was not a common thing in uh, most of America, for most Americans, for most of our existence. Um, it wasn't until really after the, the World War II generation uh, went to war and came back. And in that transition process, a lot of folks realized that the GI Bill was more than necessary. Uh, this paved the way for what we know today as the GI Bill, but back then was really a suite of benefits, uh, including education. But um, unfortunately, much like today, uh, back then, there were quite a few predatory actors out there looking to take advantage of these new benefits, including the GI Bill uh, for education. And so that's what ultimately culminated in the 1956 uh, Bradley Commission report, which highlighted the very concerning fact that uh, a lot of student veterans at the time were taken advantage of, that they essentially had their GI Bill stolen from them by fraudsters and swindlers looking to make a quick buck. And this, this is what really led to the, the term fly-by-night schools. Um, and then after that, a series of uh, very terrible scenarios and, and kind of a, a rise and fall of these bad schools, these predatory players, led to multiple administrations uh, taking action. Starting in the late 80s, the Reagan administration under Secretary of Education William Bennett uh, took significant action uh, really for the first time to crack down on these schools. And that was followed by the early 90s with President George H.W. Bush, who in the 1992 Higher Education Act uh, took very significant steps to increase um, consumer protections and oversight of these schools. And so that's kind of what sets up today, because um, folks may remember the, the collapse of the Corinthian colleges in 2014. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, I teach tech shortly thereafter in 2016. And that is what paved the way for us to really be, as an organization, uh, an effective player, making it very clear to everybody that somebody needed to be looking out for veterans uh, as a counterbalance to these predatory actors who were clearly not being slowed down. And so um, many people may be familiar with the, the term the 90-10 loophole. That was a loophole that ultimately uh, we advocated very strongly for nearly a decade to get closed. Uh, we did get it closed with the support and cooperation from uh, Capitol Hill and many partners in the space. Um, but that doesn't mean that the, the work is done, unfortunately. The 9010 loophole, which essentially put a target on a student's back by exempting those funds from the federal equation of the 9010 rule, meant that every time they got one student veteran, they could get more students. Uh, that created just rife abuse. And so uh, that's kind of what brings us to today. But... Um, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, there are quite a few uh, bills and pieces of legislation that we've worked on over the years, um, two, you know, two of which we certainly like to highlight, the Protect the GI Bill Act and the uh, Career Ready Student Veterans Act. I mean, those were significant, but 
it doesn't mean the work is done. Absolutely. And um, though regulations set up the ability to uh, hopefully stop some of this work, unfortunately, student veterans are still left in the lurch when they get their GI Bill stolen. And, th- and that's kind of what we're focused on now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's probably once a week that I talk to someone who's looking to go back, you know, to school, transfer somewhere, and they, you know, say they've squandered their GI Bill by a predatory institution. Um, so I love, you know, the work that you all are doing, continuing to advocate on the legislation side, right? We can do our part at service to school and educate them on, you know, choosing schools that do have that return on investment and will provide those career outcomes. Um, but that doesn't change, you know, the institution's uh, motivations there. I think it's organizations like yours that are truly going to, you know, work alongside organizations like Service to School or WSP to help individuals become educated on a better institution. Well, you all are kind of doing the, the hard work of getting into some of the legislative conversations. Well, to be honest, I mean, I think uh, service to school is so important because the reality is there is an asymmetric information environment out there. Um, most student veterans are first generation, meaning nobody in their family has gone to school. So they, they don't have mom or dad or a relative to reach out to to explain to them how college works. And unfortunately, college is complicated. Uh, it's not made to be user friendly or consumer friendly. And those that are, you know, what we call the predatory schools are the ones who do make it user friendly and easy because they don't necessarily care how you're doing. They just want you in the door. Uh, And so they'll do anything they can to make sure that you pick them, um, including uh, deceptive marketing, um, you know, catering towards non-traditional students or adult student needs, that kind of thing. Um, And it's, it's pretty unfair, frankly. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the things I know you all have worked on the quality improvements for defense department tuition assistance, which we see a lot of that, you know, unfortunately we see it with the GI bill too, but we also see a lot of that with TA. Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, that's, that's probably the, the kind of untold truth in the um, education space of the the military and veterans community is a lot of the, the worst schools start by targeting service members knowing that if they can get them started using tuition assistance, there's a high likelihood that they can transition them to the GI Bill, which is a much more lucrative benefit. To put some numbers to it, this past year, uh, the Department of Veterans Affairs put out just under $10 billion, uh, about $9.98 billion going out the door. Again, these are taxpayers fund, these are taxpayer funds that student veterans have earned through their service uh, to go to school. And these schools take advantage of that pot of money because they know if they get a few credits uh, while they're working under DOD, then they can get them on VA. In fact, they actually, they, a lot of them will call it the TA to VA model, which is uh, frankly pretty, pretty sickening. Yeah. Oh, I've never heard that, but it makes sense from what we see, right? Then the student then, you know, transitions out of the military and they're like, oh, well, I already have credits from insert name of school here. And they just, you know, a, a seamless transition almost, right? Um, we work with a lot of students that are utilizing TA and then are, have come to service to school to help them transfer to a new institution, right? And as we're working with our partner institutions and having conversations with other admissions offices, you know, it's like, okay, well, they have these credits from this institution. What does that look like transferring to your institution? And, you know, for a lot of them, that credit doesn't transfer, um, which is, a bummer because the student is now out time, you know, they're not necessarily out money, but the 
DOD is, you know, so it's not necessarily the best use of uh, taxpayer dollars, to your point. Yeah, I mean, that that's always a big red flag, too. You know, if other schools are unwilling to accept the credits, um, that's pretty typically a, a good indication that they they were not uh, they're not acknowledged for their quality. Because mm-hmm. schools, um, you know, for example, back in the day, I teach Zach in Corinthian, um, when schools were looking at those credits, it was openly acknowledged that those schools were terrible, uh, that the learning that was going on there was subpar, that the quality of instruction was subpar. In fact, that the instructors in, all, in a lot of cases don't even have subject matter expertise in the material that they're teaching, um, which unfortunately still exists today. There's literally no rule that prevents uh schools from having faculty that have no and literally no familiarity with their their subject matter um something that we'd like to change which we can certainly talk about um but it's it's pretty shocking frankly yeah absolutely and then i think too you know i've talked to students okay well let's talk about a school that would be a better fit um for using your ta dollars and you know when i present them with options and those institutions are above the ta amount so then the student's like, well, now I have to pay out of pocket if I want to go to that school, right? And they're in this kind of crossroads of, well, do I pay out of pocket or do I get to go for free? Well, everything covered, right? Um, so well, I think that's- and look, I think that's, I think that's kind of a failing of higher ed in general, um, to be honest. And it, obviously, DOD, I think, you know, there could be an argument that those, those numbers need to come up a little bit. Uh, I think that's fair. <clears throat> but the reality is higher ed is missing an opportunity. Because good schools that would benefit from having strong alumni, i.e. student veterans, uh, going through their doors um, are missing out on that opportunity that that they think they can't make the the figures work. But again, the for-profit schools and a lot of the predatory institutions have realized that they take the hit on the DOD dollars. But again, as we talked about, they know that they're going to pay off long term uh, with GI Bill dollars. And so uh, I really wish many more schools would recognize the value of this population and realize that if institutions that are built as businesses, i.e. for-profit schools, if they can make it work, certainly traditional higher ed can make that work. And uh, everybody would benefit from that. I mean, the American public would would certainly benefit from having student veterans with better degrees and better education, uh, setting them up for a lifetime of success. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. That's definitely one area that I would love to see, you know, progress being made is improvements to TA on both the DOD side and the higher education side. Um, Another thing that you all have kind of worked on, which fits in this similar conversation, you had mentioned briefly, the Veterans Eligible to Transfer School Credit Act. This ensures veterans can get their GI Bill benefits restored before they pick a new school. And that's in the situation that their previous institution has closed, correct? That's right. Yeah. And in fact, there's actually right now, if you're a student veteran, um, there's actually only one scenario that you can even get your GI Bill back. Um, and it's very narrow. It's if your school closes. Um, unfortunately, even that scenario is pretty complicated because uh, the way that the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs interprets um, current statute makes it uh, nearly impossible to, to go forward with that process. As a student veteran, you likely have a family, you likely have financial obligations, and the chances of you just taking a gamble on your future are pretty pretty low. Uh, you don't have the wiggle room to, to take the kind of risk that a typical 18 to 22 year old uh, has at that time. And so um, what you want to know is that if you go to a new school, really what the picture looks like, whether you're gonna get your GI Bill back or not, 
um, and then making smart informed decisions based on that information. And unfortunately, um, the way that the, the law is set up right now <clears throat> requires that um, knowledge of whether or not you have actually transferred uh, the, the threshold is 12 credits, but if you've transferred credits or not. And so VA essentially was interpreting that as the inability for people even to apply for restoration if their school closed, because their position was that they had no ability to uh, determine whether or not you transferred credits, which I get, I, it makes sense. Unfortunately, what we're looking at here is a communications challenge, uh, not a logistical or statutory challenge. That's always been our position. And uh, they disagreed. And so, you know, we had to go back to Congress and, and clarify that, um, which is what led to the Vets Credit Act, uh, paving the way for any student veteran of any closure or disapproval scenario to apply at any time. Um, and again, ultimately, that forces VA to simply explain to the student, this is one pathway, this is another pathway. Um, you get your GI Bill back, but it's contingent upon the outcome of credit transfer. And so at least it sets up a an informed scenario where the student can make decisions for themselves and their families and actually go forward. Yeah, absolutely. As much information as you they can have to make the best decision, you know, for right. kind of even what that timeline is going to look like. I was talking to a student the other day and he was like, well, I'm trying to decide, you know, can I do two years or is it going to take me three or four years? Right. And when am I going to run out of money? And, you know, figuring out what that's going to look like long term to fund anything above what, you know, his GI Bill um, might be once it's exhausted. Yeah. Um, so all of that information up front I mean, just helps the students make the best decisions. Um, can you talk to our listeners a little bit about what are some of the um, barriers or some of the issues that you all are digging into right now? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing that we run into with the students that we've worked with is the fact that if you find yourself in a scenario where you unfortunately have been cheated, you realize that the school that you went to is not worth the paper it's printed on. Uh, that's a really tough spot to be. Um, oftentimes students don't realize that until later in the game, uh, potentially even once they've graduated. And so, um, you know, I mean, these bad schools take a lot of effort and energy to make sure that their students think they're a credible institution. Um, so, so I really don't blame the students at all to the fact that you have uh, le legitimate experts who are tricking you uh, and are, are expert at marketing and expert at making sure that you think it's a quality institution um, the fact that you walk away thinking that is like, well, duh, why wouldn't you? Especially if you're a first generation student who doesn't have anything to compare it against. Um, yep. And so these students, you know, they later realize either by experience in the classroom or in trying to find a job in the, in the workplace, um, they realize this is actually not very good. This is not a good education. And I, I got uh, swindled. Um, that's a tough spot to be. And so that's really where our attorneys and our team steps up to coach and counsel that individual to, to let them know what their options are um, and what the way ahead looks like. Now, right now, the bad news is that if you do find yourself in that spot and you used your GI Bill, there's really not a lot you can do to get your GI Bill back. Again, the very narrow example is if your school closed, but that's, that's really not that many people in the grand scheme of things. Um, right. And so you find yourself as being defrauded and then the question is what's next? Um, well, we're trying to answer that question and we're trying to pass a law right now that would make it so if you find yourself in that scenario and that you were defrauded, you're actually able to apply and get your GI Bill back. Now, here's the downside to all of this. Even if you get your GI Bill back 
and you get a fresh start, you're never recouping that time. And so in our opinion, this is like the minimal, minimal thing that Congress can do to uh, help student veterans in their future is at least give them a, a do-over. Um, but again, recognizing that they're never getting that time back. And so um, we ultimately think that building up the pressure on Congress and building up the awareness of this as an issue is paramount. Because picture this, literally today, if you have a student who's 19 years, years old uh, using Department of Education Title IV money, and they're sitting in the classroom next to a, a student veteran, maybe 25 years old, you know, did a couple years in the Marine Corps, got out and is using their GI Bill. The 19 year old can file for what's uh, called borrowed defense, uh, meaning they get that money basically wiped, that, that loan is discharged. Yep. Uh, they don't have to pay for it because the government is acknowledging that it was a fraudulent experience, a fraudulent scheme, a fraudulent school. Now that student veteran, literally same classroom, might've been right next to that student, can't get anything. They don't get their GI Bill back. They don't have any claim to restitution. There's no way for them to start fresh. And uh, we just think that's wrong. We think especially the fact that the student veteran earned their GI Bill and spent time in service to get that opportunity, uh, if anything, makes it more important that they get the, uh, the chance to go back to school. And right now, it's just, it's just not that way. Uh, and so we're, we're hoping for parity there. That's, that's what we're pushing really hard for. Yeah. And how can students or individuals who are listening, you know, if they are, if they did find themselves in that situation, right, where now they can't, you know, achieve gainful employment, they feel like their degree was kind of, you know, wasted. Yeah. Um, is, are you all building a list of, you know, schools that those students had graduated from those experience? How can our students kind of uh, partner with you all to see some um, effective change there? Well, the biggest thing is definitely to reach out. Number one, uh, anybody can reach out to us and our team at any time by emailing help at vetsedsuccess.org or going on our website, vetsedsuccess.org and reaching out or taking a look at some of the work that we've done. Um, that's the first step because until we know your story and your, your experience, there's really nothing that we can do. Um, but once we have that interaction, uh, it begins the process of being able to document what happened, uh, identify the school, um, and then also potentially, if you have other loans, say through the Department of Ed, help you get those discharged. So there, there potentially is some relief available. Uh, but again, the GI Bill it, it, right now, you're, you're not getting that back. Um, but it, once we have this list of folks who've been affected by these fraudulent or predatory mm -hmm. schools, that gives us the ability to show Congress the kind of harm that's being caused in a lot of these instances. Um, we don't keep necessarily like a list of you know, bad schools per se. Um, although, you know, we can certainly rattle those off uh, the top of our head pretty easily because a lot of them are larger and see some of the same activity. Um, but I would say, I mean, there's pretty clear warning signs that come up with any of these institutions that once we talk to a student and start asking some questions, it's pretty clear uh, that it was a bad school. And these include things like high pressure sales tactics, um, over promising on financial aid, over-promising on uh, potential outcomes like, oh, you're going to graduate and walk right into a six-figure job. I mean, no school can promise that. Um, right. Or uh, telling you things like your GI Bill will cover everything, even though it's much more expensive. Um, I mean, there's quite a few indications of what a bad school is. Um, but again, I mean, the biggest one uh, above all are those high-pressure sales tactics. Like it, at the end of the day, your education is your education. It's, it shouldn't be on anybody's timeline but your own and your family's. 
and that's really where it starts and stops. Yeah, I also feel like one thing we see quite a bit is kind of the fast track, right? Well, we guarantee that you'll come in with 60 credit hours, you know, and you can graduate in X amount of years. Um, and for some students, that's exactly what they're looking right. for. So they, you know, it's that like high pressure sales tactic, like you said, they, they know that that's what a lot of these individuals are looking for. They don't have the four or five years to dedicate to, you know, some of the more um, experiential learning yeah. that, you know, some yeah, I mean, more traditional campuses. These marketers, these recruiters, they know what they're doing. Uh, they know that the student veteran population feels a little bit behind because they took some time to serve their country and are, you know, they look at their peers who didn't serve and they're already in their first, second, maybe even third job. Um, you know, they're mid-level management by that point. And they're like, I need to catch up. Uh, I, I have to feed my family. I've got, I've got to get things going. So I understand the impetus. I mean, it's totally reasonable. Um, but unfortunately, again, back to that asymmetric information environment that we're dealing with, these schools know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And they take advantage of that gap. And so they know what the, the motivations are, you know, and very much in a way that a, uh, an interrogator uses emotional uh, kind of pressure points to leverage uh, in that conversation. They do the same thing. I mean, it's horrible. And so um, being aware of what that looks like is really important. And to your point, um, unrealistic timelines and, and promises of when you'll graduate should always be a red flag. You know, if somebody says, I can get you, you know, your degree in a year or two years or something ridiculous, and you're like, but I think it's like a three or four year degree and I don't have any credits or something like that. It just doesn't seem to line up. That's probably because it doesn't line up. The reality is these recruiters do not have a problem lying. You know, I mean, I think but between all of us, um, if we were talking to a stranger, we probably wouldn't openly lie to them. I mean, that that would be like unusual for most people. Um, and you think that people are moral. They're not. They don't mind lying to people. And, and in fact, they make a living off of lying to student veterans in a lot of cases. Um, and only until there are so many examples of that kind of fraud and de deceit um, is something done. And that's, I hate to say it, that's all after the fact. That's after everybody's been harmed. And so uh, just being aware of what's out there and, and keeping that uh, in the, the top of your mind up front is really important. Yeah, for sure. Um, as we start to wrap up the conversation, Will, um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, moving forward, what would you like to see happen um, either with, you know, like GI Bill restoration? What is your kind of like dream? If you could push policy through, what is that for you? Well, there's two things. Um, number one, uh, and I think this, again, for, in my opinion, this is table stakes. This is, we're already past the point of where this should be reality and it's not. Uh, but the first thing is making sure that if a student veteran or their family member, anybody using any kind of Department of Veterans Affairs education benefits is defrauded, that person should have the opportunity to start over and get those education benefits back, plain and simple. Uh, and the second piece, I think, really addresses that first one, which is to say, why does this keep happening? Um, shouldn't there be some way to make sure that people don't need to get restoration, that they're not defrauded to begin with. And that's, I think that's the more long-term solution to this whole picture, um, which is to create stronger program approval standards, meaning that if a school does not deliver quality, it should not play in GI Bill land, period. Uh, unfortunately, that just is not the case right now. Uh, there's very minimal standards for a school or program to access education benefits at VA, and they know that, and they take advantage of it. Uh, and so that's something that we would really like to see addressed. 
But the reality is, unfortunately, long term, um, things are shifting. You know, in the past, a lot of folks have really focused in on uh, for-profit schools, um, which doesn't necessarily apply anymore. Uh, certainly, most of the fraud does occur in the for-profit space based on the way that the incentive structure is built. But nowadays, some of the more, quote, innovative schools um, are finding tricks around that and around the regulations by creating partnerships with traditional higher ed, which is hurting for enrollment and hurting for, for dollars. Um, and so there's a, a big pressure there and they're taking advantage of it. But also there's things like online program managers, meaning you might think you're going to a good school and, you know, it's got the, the brand, the label, you're wearing the, the hoodie. Unfortunately, everything behind the scenes is being run by one of these OPMs. And the online program managers are really no different than some of the worst schools out there uh, running all the curriculum and running the back end of what the higher ed space looks like. And so things are changing. The landscape is is really a, an interesting space, but frankly, a pretty pretty scary space if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I think, you know, having trusted advisors, having trusted, you know, individuals that are looking out for the best interest of our student veterans um, and also, you know, being on the institution side that, you know, institutions that do want to do right by the student veterans yeah. as well, you know, working in tandem to just, you know, better inform our students, but also I think raise awareness to the, the issue that a lot of this money is truly being, you know, taken advantage of. Like the number you mentioned at the, the beginning, billions yeah. of dollars, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think a lot of people I, I truly don't think are aware of the level of fraud and misuse of these taxpayer dollars at the end of the day and the benefit that our service members have earned. Yeah. Well, I'm with you 100%. I mean, even last summer, um, the FBI raided five locations of a school that two years prior, we had sent a very lengthy report to the Department of Veterans Affairs on, um, which was culminating in multiple interviews with uh, students, whistleblowers from the school, um, who all essentially called this a cult. I mean, this was, you know, for lack of a better term, a federally funded cult. And it was, they were taking advantage of GI Bill dollars um, that, again, we, we raised the red flag. There was an investigation. Uh, eventually, they were hit by the FBI. But the fact that that school existed to begin with is just so alarming and definitely demonstrates the need for stronger standards. So, I mean, the more information students have, the better, because that helps kind of uh, change that asymmetric information environment so that they can make smarter choices. Absolutely. And for our listeners, we'll definitely point you in the direction of Vess's website. That's a tough one to say. Vess's website um, to check out more about the FBI raid, cult, <laughs> you know, all of that. When you're talking about GI Bill, it's like those words you do not think comes in a conversation. Right. When you're I mean, talking look, about we're not GI saying Bill. every school has to be Stanford. That'd be great. But um, at minimum, they shouldn't be. Maybe a not a cult. Right. <laughs> Probably. Right. Barrier to entry to using the GI Bill. Right, right, right. right. Not a cult. Uh, well, well, I know I, I learned so much um, from our conversation in terms of resources that are available to our students so I can point them in your direction when they do have, you know, um, examples and instances of feeling as if they have been taken advantage of. Yeah. So we'll definitely, um, you know, be encouraging students to reach out to you all um, to be able to, you know, better understand what resources and support that they have available. But uh, thank you so much for even just skimming the surface with uh, with us about the work that you all are doing and 
um, excited to continue to see the successes that you all have um, within the legislation piece. Well, thank you for having me. And thank you for what you guys do uh, to make sure that students are well-armed as they go into the uh, the higher ed space and take that next step in their, their future. Sure. Well, it's been fun. And uh, for our listeners, you all can check out Will and his team over at Veterans Education Success on their website. Um, and feel free to check the show notes uh, for any of the pieces of legislation that we chatted about today. You'll be able to find those there. So, Will, thanks again, and we'll be in touch soon. Thanks a lot. Take care. That's all we have for this episode. Join us next week, same time, same place, where we share more Service to School Stories. Service to School Stories is hosted by Sydney Mathis, Chief Program Officer, and Alec Emmert, Service to School CEO. Our podcast is produced and edited by our Director of Communication, Amanda Tobias. Service to School is a 501c3 nonprofit providing free college admission support to transitioning service members and veterans. Join us next week and follow us for more on your favorite social media platforms.